0: You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you.
1: Fatality. You know... Starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. <laughs> I said that with a straight face. Distilling theology.
0: Welcome back, ladies and Gentiles. We are so <laughs> happy to have you back. Uh, Blake, uh, how have you been, my friend, my co-host, my long-haired uh, goatee having um, Presbyterian uh,
1: dear brother. How you been, man? I don't know how many <laughs> adjectives you're going to add to my name every week, but uh, I'm, I am here for it. And, uh, you know, I'm doing all It's right. It's, it's been... A long couple of days. I had a lot of travel over the weekend, which was great. But as always, just time in the car can be exhausting. Mm-hmm. I got to finish some audio books that uh, I actually want to talk about at the end of the episode. Cool. Um, got to listen to our episode a few times from last week with Kim Riddlebarger, which was great. And uh, it's, it's always fun when we get to have another person on the show, particularly someone who you know, brings some more perspective than, than what uh, the two of us goofballs do. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, it would be really nice if we had someone this week to talk about postmail.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> how convenient. Uh, we are not alone again uh, this week. We are actually joined by, and I'm sure you've heard of them, Apologia Studios. Uh, we have Luke the Bear here on our show, himself, wearing that hashtag at Postmill shirt. Um, <laughs> if you don't know, uh, Luke has been a pastor and elder at Apologia Church uh, from 2010. And, um, yep. yeah, and I actually had the pleasure to meet Luke and Jeff and James and some other folks um, in Palmyra a while back. Which is really neat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure to see you again. We're happy to have you here, man. How you been?
2: Likewise, good man. I appreciate it. that. Was BC before COVID? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> BC, I dig it. Oh, man. Um. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be fun. Um. And just a reminder to those of you who are listening, uh, the giveaway winner, uh, stay tuned. Is going to be announced at the end of this episode. Um. So yeah, Blake.
1: That's it. And also, if you guys want to check out uh, Distilling Theology merch, including our hoodies, you can head over to ShopDistillingTheology.com. Uh, tonight, I'm excited. I haven't had anything from this distillery in a very long time. So our guest here had picked out when we said, what do you want to drink? And he said, well, I'm, I'm feeling the, the Dalmore Cigar Malt Reserve. So Luke, what, what do you like about this? And um, do you have any special connection to this whiskey?
2: Yeah. So... Uh, This actually has become one of my favorites um, that I only drink in special occasions. So consider yourselves blessed. (laughs) Uh, One, I'm a sucker for packaging. Hmm. And if you guys, I mean, look at that bottle. That is, I mean, it has a big old stag head on it. It's pretty dope.
0: Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Um,
2: But the story is, I guess it was uh, just over a year ago, we were in... We actually did a trip for end abortion. Now we were in Ireland and Scotland, and so we were in Edinburgh and Glasgow for just under a week, four or five days, maybe six days, something like that. And uh, I made it. I'm a I'm a Scotch guy. Like I love Islay's, the smokier the better. Uh, big Lagavulin 16 guy. Hard oh, big 10 is probably my favorite. Um, but I was in Scotland, right? And I'm like, well, I'm just gonna try as many as I can because there's so many scotches there that. I never heard of uh and so it's funny the first restaurant we ate when we were in Edinburgh I like sat down I think I got fish and chips um which there's a whole argument between Ireland and Scotland who has the better fish and chips I'm not gonna get involved in that right now but I wanted to try them in Scotland <laughs> and I pick up the menu and I'm like well, where's all the scotches because there was like no scotches on the menu and she's like, "Oh, we have a separate menu for that," and uh, you know <laughs> they have like be. Yeah. yeah, like twenty or thirty different scotches or whatever. So, long story short, I made it a point to try as many as I could. I think I'd probably tried at least twenty different scotches. Uh, I was trying to get ones I never had because um, again, a lot of them they had all these funky like Ladebrook and Lagavulin, like all these Scottish names that are hard to pronounce that we don't even <laughs> have here. So. <laughs> uh, last night in Glasgow um, I I saw this and I was like cigar well that's not interesting so I tried it and really really liked it and um, when I went through the uh, airport from leaving Glasgow to go to uh, uh, we actually were stopping in London Heathrow before coming home and uh, they had that in the uh, duty-free store. Uh, so I think I got it for, like, duty-free, 75 pounds. I bought a bottle. So this is actually from the airport in Glasgow. Wow. Um, and anyways, I love it. It's just really good. I'm not, like, a big Highland guy. Yeah. For, and Unless they're, like, unique. To me, a lot of the Highlands taste just kind of the same. They're just kind of like, and eh, that's why I like islands because they're so unique in their flavors. Unless, of course, it's, like, a Macallans or a Highland Park, like 18 or 20, because then those are just super smooth. But um, yeah, so I'm not a huge Highland guy, but I really like this one because of the uniqueness of the taste. And I guess, I mean, you're going to talk about it, but from what I understand, it's supposed to go well with the cigar. and That's why they call it the cigar. Malt, so.
1: Oh, yeah, that is it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, the uh, I bought uh, when I was over in Israel on the way back, it was actually a layover in Amman, Jordan, of all places, that I bought a like Talisker Dark Storm bottle. Duty free and mm-hmm. brought that back, which was a fun, fun adventure. So that's a, that's always a highly recommend. If you guys are traveling internationally, pick up something from the duty free shop because you just get things you yep. you can't buy uh, in the states, or if you buy them in the states, they're more expensive. Yeah. So yeah. live in the dream. But yeah, Dalmore, I actually, yeah, uh
2: Sorry, I was gonna say I actually was shoving bottles of whiskey into my buddy friend's <laughs> bags because I didn't have room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know how much I spent at the duty-free, but I got all this stuff. Like I got dad, I got while we're at it i got this uh which is the only peated irish whiskey what um that was really good i i still this is just the case like i said i like the packaging but um (laughs) i'm the same way i I forget what else there was a bunch of stuff i got that i just never seen before so anyways yeah
1: that's That's awesome dalmore is their master blender uh richard patterson is quite a character if you ever see the video on youtube of the guy who like how to drink scotch like a sir and he's like swishing he's like you gotta clean the glass and he throws the whiskey (laughs) on the ground so that the glass is cleaned out by what you're about to drink which i wouldn't recommend that but it's you know it's (laughs) fancy but the story goes that that patterson is quite a cigar aficionado so he wanted Uh -uh. a blend um that would pair well with the with the smoky and spicy flavor of a cigar. So that's the the intent of this. Whether it comes close, we'll we'll be the judge in a moment here, but it was an award-winning scotch from the Dalmore Distillery, which was established in 1893, and some 28 years uh later, this was per- the distillery was purchased by Andrew and Charles McKenzie, who were members of the McKenzie clan. Now, the legend has it that in 1262, this clan had saved King Alexander III of Scotland from a charging stag. And as a reward, the clan had been given lands, but also the right to use the 12-pointed royal stag as their emblem. And since the distillery was purchased by the Mackenzie's, that same stag emblem has adorned every bottle of whiskey that the Dalmore Distillery has produced. So that's where the, the metal stag, 12-horn stag comes from, is this story from uh, medieval Scotland that's Which I think is really great. Whether it's yeah. true or not, I don't really care. It's a great story. <laughs> We're um, going to go with it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so this original malt was actually introduced in 99, um, where they took some of their base whiskies and matured it in some bourbon barrels and some sherry casks. But that release was discontinued in 2009, much to everybody's chagrin, apparently. So they did a new version. So this is actually the Cigar Malt Reserve. Um, so everything everything after 2009 is this version but everybody apparently said it tastes better than the original. It smells know, it's good. more expensive. Yeah, bottled that. at bottled at 44% alcohol by volume or 88 proof. It is not age stated. There's no information on coloration. Uh, some of the info I found online suggests that the mix of whiskeys ranges from things from uh, you know 10 to 14 years old. According to cigarfictionauto.com, the spirits are matured independently. Uh, and then blended together with 70% of the blend being matured in sherry casks, 20% in bourbon casks, and the remaining 10% coming uh, from the Cabernet casks. So there's our little background of where things are going. And uh, Listen, Blake, you're talking too much. I want to drink it. Let's do it. Let's sip. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to of...
2: drink all night. Sorry, I didn't realize I waiting. <laughs> oh, that's all
1: good. That's all good. Let's do it.
0: Blake, it smells like uh, caramel, coffee, maybe some chocolates.
1: It's a nice fruity backbone to it as well.
0: Maybe some like shortbread even.
2: It's funny. I was like going into my cabinet and getting this out. And my wife was like, because it's only 424 here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, why are you getting into the liquor cabinet at four o'clock? You had a rough day?
1: <laughs> oh, no. Just got to hang out with the d- distilling theology crew, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Be those guys. Cheers.
2: Salancha, as I like to say. Mm.
0: Mm. Oh, that's delicious!
2: Right, it's got a really unique flavor.
0: Yeah, there's like oh, it's, it's almost like burnt vanilla. toffee. Yeah, uh, little orange zest. Um, I taste the sherry.
1: Yeah. Um, some of that caramello. vanilla from the bourbon uh, from mm-hmm. the bourbon cask is coming mm-hmm. through. The mouthfeel is really like creamy, mm-hmm. but it's a very yeah. full-bodied experience at the same time.
0: I'm a fan. I'm in.
1: I'm I sold. want to go. I'm sold. Smoke a cigar and drink this. <laughs> have you have you had a cigar with this before? Luke? No, I have not actually. Well, I should. Looks like one of my first. One
0: thing. of my favorite cigars is called the Punisher, and it's infused with habanero. As oh. so, as you smoke it, uh, you get like a weird burning sensation on your Ow. lips, and, <laughs> and I'm a big fan of spicy things. So it would be very interesting to pair with something like this, which seemed this has like a. Almost like a numbing sort of cooling effect. Yeah. So that'd be interesting. All right. Well, uh, before we hop in, uh, as you guys have probably guessed, we are going to be talking about post-millennialism as we continue on through our eschatology series. Um, I'm very excited, obviously. Uh, (laughs) So uh, before we hop right in there, we're going to just open with prayer. Um, For those of you that do have a value vision, I know many of you do, uh, if you want to turn the page. Um, 142, the prayer is called Humiliation. Sovereign Lord, when clouds of darkness, atheism, and unbelief come to me, I see the purpose of love in withdrawing the spirit that I might prize him more and chastening me for my confidence in past successes that my wound of secret godlessness might be cured. Help me to humble myself before thee by seeing the vanity of honor as a conceit of men's hands as standing between me and thee, by seeing that thy will must alone be done, as much in denying as in giving spiritual enjoyments, by seeing that my heart is nothing but evil, mind, mouth, life void of thee, by seeing that sin and Satan are allowed power in me, that I might know my sin, be humbled, and gain strength thereby, by seeing that unbelief shuts me from thee, so that i sense not thy majesty power mercy or love then possess me for thou only art good and worthy thou dost not play in convic- convicting me, convincing me of sin satan did not play in tempting me to it i do not play when i sink when i sink in deep mire for sin is no game no toy no bauble let me never forget that the heinousness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the person sinned against. When I am afraid of evils to come, comfort me by showing me that in myself I am a dying, condemned wretch, but that in Christ I am reconciled, made alive, and satisfied, that I am feeble and unable to do any good, but that in him I can do all things, that what I have now in Christ in mine is in part, but shortly I shall have it perfectly in heaven.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: All right. Well, postmillennialism, what is, if you could describe postmillennialism for us, what would you describe uh, to the listener who maybe doesn't know?
2: Sure. Good question. And I want to start off by saying that I do not consider myself an expert in postmillennialism. I consider myself knowledgeable enough to get myself in trouble. So... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, my fellow elder, Jeff Durbin, I would consider an expert, Gary DeMar, Kenneth Gentry, mm-hmm. Kenneth Talbot, guys like that, um, Doug Wilson. Um, anyways, so when when I get asked this question, basically, my response is that it's a victorious eschatology. It's an optimistic, victorious eschatology, and, and in a nutshell, uh, I... I believe that all things will be put under the feet of Christ, uh, the last being death. So mm-hmm. that's kind of that's kind of the short answer. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than that, um, but yeah, that's how I would answer that.
0: Yeah. So, how did you come to a post millennial eschatology? What was it that maybe brought you to where you are, and where did you come from? Um, yeah. I know for me, like I came. Blake and I both came from sort of. Um, rapturesque uh, late sure. great planet Earth kind of premillennial millennial uh, backgrounds. And so um, I landed on the on the post-mill spectrum, Blake's on the amill spectrum. Um, I always make the joke that amillennialism is just post-millennialism on antidepressants. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, how'd, how'd you get here? Where'd you come from? Yeah, good question. I
2: mean, I grew up the same. Way. I grew up in the church, so came from a dispensational, premillennial mm-hmm. background. Honestly, I didn't really know there was anything else. Yeah. Um, until probably around like twenty twenty-one, maybe something like that. I heard someone might have been some other thing. And I was like, wait, what? You know, but I didn't really think anything of it. And then um and then actually when I met Jeff, I met Pastor Jeff, uh, he kind of introduced me to it. And my introduction to it was really a study through Matthew 24. Uh so if you follow Apology at Church at all, I think Jeff's been a year going through Matthew 24. So there's mm-hmm. lots of sermons on that, um, on our YouTube channel. Uh, so that was kind of an introduction and really kind of, you know, with all the timing passages, uh, I did a sermon once called, uh, Eschaton, the uh, perusal, of the parousia. And I kind of went through a lot of the timing passages, you know, it's really, it was really hard for me to get past, uh, you know, is at hand, is it within reach stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he jeff gave me a book called the parousia actually um, by j stewart russell is actually a scottish guy of all since so we're talking about that um it was i think it was written it was an older book i think it was written 1600 maybe something like that maybe i can't remember exactly big book uh, five or six hundred pages and it really it he did an excellent job kind of He went through like the synoptics and put all the different passages together um that had to do with eschatology and that was a really good book really kind of opened my eyes to things helped me understand things a little better and to be honest it was isaiah 65. uh that was the that was the passage that really kind of set me over the edge um and uh you know we're essentially isaiah 65 is god divorcing Israel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he starts saying, and my people will have a new name, um, starting in verse 13, I just pulled it up. I'll just read it real quick. He said, therefore thus says the Lord God, behold, my servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servant shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for breaking of spirit. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse. And the Lord God will put you to death, and but his servants he will call by another name. And uh, that really, I, I mean, I still to this day vividly remember where I was at reading that and was angry. I was honestly angry because growing up in the church, I don't ever remember anyone even reading that passage. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and, yeah. you know, so that was the one where I was like, man, like, I feel like I've been bamboozled my whole life. So that's kind of how that started. And you know, that was probably, let's see, 13, 12, 13 years ago now. So just been kind of just trying to understand it more and more and, and growing my knowledge of that since then. Um, I'll say that it, it definitely affects your view on everything. There's no doubt about that. Um, sure. And so I definitely have a much more optimistic view of Everything really at the, now at this point. So um, yeah. that was a long answer, but I hope it answered your question.
0: No, that's great. Yeah, um, the divorce decree is a is a great section um, that and then revelation. Um, it's funny to me that people often have a struggle with this idea that um, God would divorce ethnic Israel, um, and yet they have no problem believing that He would choose. Israel among all the nations for no other reason other than it pleased right. him to do so, um, and yet they have they have issues with um, him pursuing uh, the elect uh, in in a unique way. So it, I don't know. It's interesting, but yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing about postmillennialism, like you said, it right. It's a victorious. It's a hopeful eschatology, um, and so that you're right. That absolutely impacts how we how we do things like the Great Commission, right? Yeah. Like We have an expectation that the Great Commission is going to be successful, <laughs> um, and that God's not lying when he says that we're going to go to all the nations and make disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so I imagine that you've probably seen this. I mean, you, you've been all over the place, right? You've been, yeah. you've traveled a bunch. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen seen this play out in, in even... Even in our time,
2: yeah. I mean, bottom line is, from my perspective, Christ is Lord over all, and currently is. So I would say that um, we're we're currently living in the millennium. It's not a literal one thousand years, but I would say mm-hmm. we're currently living in it. Christ is ruling and reigning, mm-hmm. and He has all authority, just like the Great Commission. I just recently heard a sermon that Doug Wilson gave, and I. I loved what he said. He said if you're uh if you're essentially going into all the world, you know, and and preaching the gospel, um, you're in sin. And he said that and I was like, Wait, what does he mean? And he goes, If you're not if you're doing it separate from with all authority <laughs> and I love right? that. Like Christ has all authority, he's given us that authority because he's Lord, he's ruling and reigning.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and you know, all the yeah, so I mean I've been different I have been to what's the Australia, New Zealand, Northern and Southern Ireland and and Scotland um on different trips for like end abortion now and stuff and yeah um you know I, from my perspective like we're
0: not
2: we're not going to end abortion if if Christ isn't lord right like and when mm-hmm. I when Christ says he will put all things under his feet I believe that includes abortion mm-hmm. and um and uh you know a verse that comes to mind Jeff always says that Psalm 110, one is God's favorite verse because it's the most quoted verse in the New Testament. And uh, like, I love that verse. That's one of our staple verses at Apologia, right? It's Psalm 110, one. It's just the Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Well, we we do the catechism every week mm-hmm. at church and we just uh, we just ended, we just just recently switched to question 31. We were on question 30. Uh, the Baptist Catechism, the right one.
0: Yes. Right. Amen. Right. Hallelujah. Uh,
2: <laughs> and uh and uh but we but that question the question was how um how does Christ perform the office of a king? Mm. And and that was the verse with Psalm Tim one and two. And like I know I know Psalm Tim One, uh we do it, we say it all the time, but like I never really paid attention to verse two, which says the lord since forth from zion your mighty scepter rule in the midst of your enemies and i've been just really excited about that verse um i think that accurately describes where we're at now christ is willing to reign in the midst of his enemies and you know that that verse i think completely demolishes dispensationalism but um but anyways so all these different places we go to everywhere i'm speaking like the only way this stuff ends is if Christ puts it under his feet, right? Mm-hmm. So abortion, homosexuality, you know, gay mirage, wokeism, whatever, you name it, it's going to be put under the feet of Christ at some point. It may not be in my lifetime. It may not be in my kid's lifetime. It may be my great grandkids' life. Like, I don't know. It could be way down the road. But I truly believe that that will be put under the feet of Christ. And so we, we have hope then. To to be bold, be prophetic, to speak the truth, um, and trusting God that He will put that under Christ's feet, and so we just got to be faithful.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Amen. Um, one thing that's that's come up a lot, at least in on uh, on the you know the good old Reformed internet, um, but also in a lot of discussions I've had uh, <laughs> with folks regarding eschatology. It's it's been a popular topic lately. I imagine I imagine the part of the reason is because of the, just the times that we're in people are more focused on this particular subject, but um, uh, often there's a distinction made between uh, what we like to call historic post-millennialism versus a more, um, a different stream of post which would be theonomic uh, uh, post-millennialism often paired with reconstructionism and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me, kind of where you fall and, and and how you, how you got there. Uh,
2: good question. Um, and actually we just did a show, our radio show last week. We had Pastor James, Dr. White on, Mm -hmm. um, talking about a recent article from the gospel coalition, which was just awful.
0: uh, Yeah. (laughs) And so we,
2: we did, we're actually going to cover some more tomorrow, I think. So, um, be looking for that. Um, we didn't really get it a lot of time to dig into it too much. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I so I would have become well, my chain would have been becoming reformed and then post mill and then introduced to theonomy. And honestly, like I wasn't, I was introduced to theonomy after we started uh, apology radio. So that was something that's been new to me even since then, which now is eight years, I think. I was I, mm-hmm. I lose track of time. Um, so essentially essentially theonomy is is just it's theos nomos right it's god's law and the the opposite of that would be you know what we are experiencing now it's self law autonomy um and so essentially all all of that is it means it means god's law so um so i a lot of times theonomy and postmodernism do go hand in hand they don't have to um but i think i think they they do and they should, um, because you. It's, again, going back to uh, Christ's lordship, mm-hmm. and so essentially, what what Theonomy says, and then and then that article. You know, my one of my biggest pet peeves is people that criticize Theonomy, and they miss the boat completely. They they accuse us of wanting to establish God's law as the standard from the top down. And like that article is one thing I mentioned last week was mm-hmm. that that article, which was ironic, given that it was the gospel coalition, they mm-hmm. completely missed out on the gospel. And we're saying, <laughs> no, that's not how this works. What how it works is it, you know, there's different there's a different spheres of government. So you have self-government, you have family government, church government, civil government. It starts in the individual. It starts with the gospel. It starts with heart transformation in the individuals. And mm-hmm. then as the gospel goes forth, as Christ's kingdom grows people should christians should love the law of god and if you haven't read psalm 119 you should because that's that's all it is to talk about loving god's law and so that it, it as that grows as that expands people should want to put god's uh law as the standard for justice and morality and ethics um you know so the title of that article was uh, i think is theonomy the answer for our culture or something along those lines? You know, of course, he makes a point to say he says it's not the answer. And I'm like, I agree, it's not the answer. The answer is the gospel. <laughs> the gospel is what's going to transform our culture. Theonomy, I would say, is the answer to justice, ethics, and morality. Right. And so essentially, in the Old Testament, you have the threefold law. So you have the civil law, the moral law, and the ceremonial law. Um, we would say that the civil and moral law should um should be valid today it is valid today moral law being like the ten commandments civil law you know you you see uh you know like the death penalty for rape or something like that there, you know there's different laws that god gave israel um and we would say that god holds other nations to that standard as well throughout scripture uh, but then the ceremonial law we would say is the is was pointing to christ it was the, the purpose of the ceremonial law was to set apart israel it was a picture of Christ. So when when Christ came, he said, I did not come to uh, abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill that ceremonial law. And the other law still stands. And you see that throughout the New Testament. Uh, It's assumed a lot in in different passages from the apostles and then the writings. And so that's really all that it is. Um, Mm -hmm. So we would say that, you know, God's standard is still valid. God does not change. So why would his standard for ethics and morality and justice change?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, go
1: ahead. Oh, I had a. I know this isn't a theonomy episode per se, but I did have a question for you, Luke. Just from you were talking about how you know theonomy and postmill don't necessarily have to go together, but you think they're they're a very natural fit, which makes sense. I've always, I've often seen. Kind of this uh, progression, I guess, where like people will kind of become post mill and then yeah. theonomic, and maybe maybe an element of or a full blown reconstructionism or some some of that kind of chain. Uh, and I wonder from your from your perspective, and this may be totally. Uh, do you think that there's a fit for any of those, like you know, reconstructionism or theonomy, within outside of a post millennial eschatology? Oh, um, yeah. So something like like amillennialism just for example you know in my camp or or something like a historic premillennialism, millennialism uh, like a james montgomery Boyce, do you think that there's a a fit or do you think it's it's most natural home neighbor maybe not home because they're not like it's not like theonomy lives in post-millennialism but they're they're right. interconnected so do you That's think right. that it fits alongside of other eschatologies do you think it's really best suited there
2: i would say it should
1: hmm.
2: right like as christians we should love law, the law of god we should love God's standard for those things, mm-hmm. right? I think where you run into trouble or where there's conflict, you know, especially Amil, not not as much because we're not that off on eschatology, you know, we're pretty much in agreement on most things, um, mm. you know. But like dispensationalism, premillennialism, stuff like that, like you're going to have greater conflict there because you're, you guys know, we're sitting around waiting for the rapture. Yeah, right. Crisis, crisis, crisis isn't really reigning and ruling, he, you know, it's the whole, you know, like, yes and not yet sort of a thing. Like, you know, so like, there's no, there's no speaking into the culture. There's no telling people to repent because Christ is Lord. Right. <laughs> and so why would you waste your time um, trying to convince them that God's standards should apply for justice, morality, and ethics. Right. When you're just waiting to be raptured off, right? Yeah. And It's That's the whole don't, don't don't polish brass on a sinking ship sort of a thing, um, you know. And and so, like you sh- you should. And I think most Christians like they wouldn't they wouldn't say that they don't love the law of God, right? But do do they really think that that should be the standard? Um, and even christians that you know like in that article a christian might say well yeah i i agree that's a good standard but we you know that that article made it made it an argument for natural law which is a whole nother fiasco but um <clears throat> so anyways i i think hope that answers your question it should yeah but i but there is going to be conflict that arises just sure. it's almost like and this is why I said like it, it, it changes your view on everything because it's almost like a it's it's almost it's almost like a different worldview it's not but it's it's different enough that it Mm -hmm. changes your outlook on everything yeah
0: Yeah.
1: i agree no it's a great i appreciate that it's it's helpful to get other perspectives and as you said and, and kim riddlebarger uh talked about last week with all millennialism like they're really not that different in a lot of our major conclusions like i would agree with you that we are presently in the millennium Christ is reigning he's putting his enemies under his feet the gospel is going to to be successful um and i think where the divergence probably is more so is in like the uh the way that manifests in society sure. maybe but as far as like those core things like that's a lot of agreement where mm-hmm. with dispensational premill like we're just in a whole different yeah well, <laughs> it's like
0: it's like you and me Blake with being baptist and presbyterian right we agree sure. on 98% of our doctrine yeah, uh, right. We get to we get to how we view the covenants, yeah. and then therefore, uh, who is included in things like baptism. <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah. naturally, we we come to different conclusions, but uh, we can fellowship together without any uh, strife. You know, which yeah. is great. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, I've also noticed there's a couple of different views even within because obviously you have uh, the different views of the um, of revelation, right? You have the partial preterists who yeah. uh, obviously. Um, it's where I fall most of Revelation is, has yes, come to agreed. pass um, you have the futurists who think it hasn't come yet historicists that believe it's kind of progressing through time um, and then you have the postmillennialists who believe the, the millennium is a literal thousand years however it's like the end of the current age that we're in so it's like the last thousand years of the millennium is a golden age for Christians and so on and um, so the, and then even within, it's one of those things where I've heard I've heard Pastor Jeff say several times too, uh, words have meaning, <laughs> and yeah. so it's important to define our terms. Um, sure. And so it's important to define what we mean when we say postmillennialism. Um, it's mm-hmm. important to define what we mean when we say theonomy, for example. I've heard differing, even differing opinions on what theonomy even is uh, sure. now in the modern day. Um, it's like. You get too many people... It's like the ref, the term... Ref, we've been going back and forth, Blake, with this for a couple of weeks now, That this term Reformed, right? Mm-hmm. Historically, Baptists, like myself, are not technically in the Reformed camp. We were, come from the particular Baptists, and so I'm fine with that title as well. You know, So you got the Presbyterians who are like, you're not Reformed TM, you know, trademark. Um, and that's fine if, if you want... But, you know, as as more and more people join into the term Reformed, it, it changes meaning. It's like evangelical. You can't say you're, you're even evangelical anymore, because that could mean... Oh, yeah. 40 different things. Yeah. And so I think it's important to have these conversations where we define our terms so people actually understand. Yeah. Um, what in the world we mean when we say, you know, I'm a I'm a post-millennial. What do you mean? Yeah. Um, so that's good.
2: No, I agree. I, it is important to establish that I am also a partial mm-hmm. um, I So the difference is we would say that almost almost all prophecy and revelation has come true, but not mm-hmm. quite. Mm -hmm. um full full preterism would say that everything's already come to pass yeah and full preterism can be very dangerous oh yeah um and uh you know it can definitely lead to full-on big age heresy (laughs)
0: yeah
2: yeah for sure um yeah i've seen it lead to universalism so yeah um yeah so i think you're right it's important to establish that from the
0: beginning so for me the biggest selling point on postmillennialism and and frankly partial preterism was matthew 24 and seeing seeing that whole story play out and and when jesus says these things are not these things are going to come to pass before this generation passes away um i love i, I know you've seen the, the debate with doug wilson and hitchens when when he oh, yeah. asks him about that you know and he's the first guy that can actually answer that question right right um and that's huge. That's a huge thing. I don't know how we've missed that for the last hundred and fifty years in the United States, but
1: <laughs> dispensationalism. Um, yeah, seriously. Oh
0: yeah. That, Thank that you was a huge field. that was a huge shift in in, in me theologically yeah. uh, when that clicked. Well yeah. let's
1: go there. Let's go to Matthew twenty four for uh for that post Because we when we had when we had Kim on we looked at it from from Amel and I assume it won't be like tremendously different, but um just as we get in there, we don't necessarily have to I don't know if you guys had a specific thing that um, is more like of a, a either a selling point on postmill or a, a verse that people tend to bring up against postmill. I'm not as familiar with with postmill as an eschatologism as I am with Amil. so um, I'll let you guys jump in. But Matthew 24 is just one of those texts that everybody has tensions with i mean i remember being a teenager and sitting around with a bunch of friends and opening up matthew 24 and like we're the first people to read this and we're gonna figure it out uh you know 16 and 15 year old a uh, couple of buddies sitting around with probably some yeah. some yeah. soda or something we're like we got this
0: yeah. um, your cool which, your cool IBCs. IBCs you know
1: right? we, we probably also had like the uh, <laughs> this was like the time of those uh those hawaii like the shirts with the, the hawaiian flames shirts on them. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was that <laughs> was the time. Those were cool things, man. Anyways, that's awesome. That's honestly a good argument for post that those things have have moved. I'm kidding. <laughs> those <laughs> those things, things have moved. passed away. Uh, Oh you man. know it's
2: it's funny because uh, that's Matthew twenty-four has been an, important to us too. We do obviously do a lot of evangelism to the LDS, <laughs> and you know, you accuse Joseph Smith of being a false prophet. One of the first things they say is, "Well, Jesus was a false prophet." Jesus had false prophecies and it's like oh really where and they go right to Matthew 24 mm-hmm. you know and so being post mill it's like we actually have a response for that most of the christians mormons talk to are like uh right uh yeah. i don't i don't know what to say to that <laughs> yeah. um yeah. you know and and yeah i mean i'm pulling it up here but it, you already mentioned it. basically it's you know all these things it's uh, verse 34 truly i say yeah. to you this generation will not pass away until all these things take place yeah. and i mean how <laughs> how do you get around that right right mm-hmm. unless you know unless you can say that those things took place and i would argue that they took place in eighty seventy. 70 you know the destruction mm-hmm. of, of the temple in jerusalem yeah um and that's that's the verse right there is like how do you get around that if you can't answer that
0: mm-hmm. then
2: yeah. you know Jesus was a false prophet. Yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You know, I
2: think that's super important. So, uh, Justin, I, I, you were going to say something. I think I'll let you go
0: ahead. Well, I was going to say the, the only way I've ever heard that try to be explained away in a dispensational sense is they try to make that specific verse incredibly hyperbolic. Like they try to make it some sort of hyperbole, uh, or they say, well, that's not what he means when he says generation, but you really have to stretch the text. (laughs) Uh, to get there. I mean, you got to do somersaults to, to, to get to that conclusion. Um, it's the reason that I'm partial preterist at, at all is because of this verse. And then everything else kind of falls into place. Um, so,
2: yeah, I mean, in, in that passage, you start out, um, at the very beginning, uh, let's see in verse three, it's it, the word is ion mm-hmm. and that's age. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not cosmos it's not the world it's this present it's this age right mm. um and let's see i'll just uh he said uh what will be the sign of your coming to the end of the age it's not the end of the world's end of the age right and so and then going back to verse 34 christ said all these things will happen in this generation well that word genea is a generation there's <laughs> no no other explanation for that and that's you know a generation in scripture is 40 years that's what's assumed to be a generation yeah. well guess what Christ is speaking in 33 AD when was the destruction of temples 8070. Yeah. yeah <laughs> uh, was in that generation yeah um you know and so um again in verse 33 the word is um and en- 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 excuse me and en- gizo um which is near and so I, I mean I like I said I did a whole sermon on the timing passages but like it's it's near it's within reach it's at hand Mm -hmm. like you it's it's really you have to do some pretty significant jumping jacks or that's not the word i'm looking for but like (laughs) you know you have to do some some pretty fancy footwork to uh to make that stretch out to two thousand plus years yeah you know absolutely so yeah i don't know if that answers your question blake or
1: not no that's great that's you know to your point like this is one of those sections that is not only controversial among Christians, but controversial, especially by those outside of Christ, especially as you pointed out in the LDS community, but also you have, um, you know, atheists like Hitchens who bring it up. Yeah. Um, because it seems to point to exactly what you said. If, if Jesus lied, then he's a false prophet and we have no business following him. Like if, Mm -hmm. if what they say, if their accusation stands, then our faith is worthless. Like that's kind of Paul's point, right? Like if 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 Christ isn't raised, if this thing if this didn't happen, then we're most pitied of all people. You know, as, as much as I enjoy uh, Pascal's wager, I I find it kind of flies in the face a little bit of Paul because it's like, oh well, if, well, if I'm right, then I gain everything. If I'm wrong, then I lose everything. Well, yes and no, because Paul seems to say, well, if we're wrong, we're like we're the like pity us. We're the yeah. worst. Yeah. Um We we have nothing going for us if we're wrong. And I think that having a firm answer, either a millennial, you know, post-millennial, well, or, or even historic premio is so helpful here. P- Peter, so. y- you know,
0: when we read in Peter, it says to have a defense for the faith that's within us. That mm-hmm. assumes that we're going to do the work and have a defense for the questions apologia. that Apologia. Right, exactly. Hey. Get, give an apologia, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. So, you're a pastor. As we, uh, we kind of come to a close to the episode— and then uh, I have a, I have, I have an interesting question for patron overtime. Um, oh. But uh, as we, as we close the main episode here, I'd like to ask um, hmm. as a pastor, how does your eschatology, how is it applicable? How does it impact the way that you pastor and the way that you counsel and the way that you uh, do your work on a day-to-day basis? That's
2: a great question, man. Um, I mean, I think I kind of touched on it earlier, but you know, I think, as we're, as I'm counseling people going through struggles and strife and trials, like, you know, I can be optimistic and say, you know, like Christ is going to put this under His feet. We need to be faithful. And, uh, you know, I actually, let see, I gave a, a message, uh, when was that a few, about a month ago or so, um, called battling the what ifs. And like, that was a lot, the driving force behind that message, you know, especially this last year. With 2020 and covid and now we got resident biden in office like how do we
0: resident biden
2: (laughs) the the p is silent uh, i stole that i stole that from doug yeah that's my favorite yeah um and uh you know like how do we deal with that as christians yeah right i got i got church members you know that are really struggling they're they're fearful of the future and COVID vaccines and both, mm-hmm. and vaccine passports and like you name it, like mm-hmm. there's a whole manner of things to be fearful of, and I'm like, one God's sovereign, so we don't need to be we need to trust Him, mm-hmm. you know. But like ultimately, God's gonna put this under His feet, under the feet of Christ, and we just need to be faithful. And one thing I've talked a lot about is, um. God's a God of order, right? And so what we're seeing is uh, a battle between the God of order and the gods of chaos, right? That's what the culture worships is the gods of chaos. And so ultimately it's a battle for who are you going to worship? So, you know, and so we need to just, we, the only way we're going to overcome the culture and everything is through right orderly worship of Christ as our Lord and savior. And, we can only do that if we, if he's ruling and reigning. Yeah. And, you know, so really, like I said, it affects everything It trickles down. Um, and yeah, so like, let's not be fearful. And, and, and it's funny, one of the, one of my favorite passages for counseling people I use in that sermon was Exodus 14. And that's where the, uh, Israelites have escaped to Egypt. They're at the, the edge of the Red Sea and, you know, they're facing the Red Sea and the Egyptians, Bearing down on them, and they start freaking out. Yeah, right. They're crying yeah. and complaining to Moses, like, "Why'd you bring us out here to die? Wouldn't it be better to be slaves to Egypt?" And and uh, you know, b- basically, Moses' response was, "Shut up, <laughs> yeah. shut your mouth." Like he literally says, "Be silent." Hmm. And so I joked in the sermon. I said, "It's the uh, Luke the Bear, the LB." L- uh the bare standard version LBSV like, is shut up you know, <laughs> and I laughed if you, if you happen to catch it because like there was a little girl in the front row and I heard her say, mommy he said shut up <laughs> uh but like, that's it, yeah. Moses is just like shut up, like what are you complaining about God's sovereign watch, he's like be quiet si- be silent and watch the Lord deliver you today, watch him work for
0: you yeah,
2: and you know, and so uh, you know, a lot of that is just being—that's reformed. That's having a high view of God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that eschatology does come into play. It's it, to some level, to some degree, where we can we know that God's going to be victorious. So, yeah. You know, I said in that sermon, like, what 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 do we have to complain about if you're a Christian? Right. Like, you know, was the the manna that He's giving you not salty enough? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was that the water? The water from the rock was it not cold enough? Mm. Right, like what do you yeah. just shut up? Trust God, <laughs> yeah. he's sovereign. He's gonna He's gonna deliver you. You know He's going to put this horrid co- culture under His feet. You know, so we just gotta remain remain faithful. So,
1: yeah, I'm no, done preaching awesome. now. Yeah, no, that's good. We like that. And uh, just a question to the two of you coming from me as the Amillenarian of the group, what would you guys recommend people read if they wanna they want to get like get their foot in the door and then maybe if they're yeah. already aware of the discussion, mm-hmm. they want to go a little bit further, um, yeah. what are some good texts for people to get their head around post so, so my Gentry?
2: favorite yeah, I'd say my favorite is He Shaw of Dominion, yeah. um, by Kenneth Gentry, Days of Vengeance by Chilton is good. Last Days According to Jesus by scroll is good. Mm-hmm. Um I mean if you want a book that encapsulates Everything I just talked about. Get the Mission of God by Joe Boot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my favorite theology book. We call it our um, the, our Apology of Church Manifesto. <laughs> um, and I'll be I'll be honest. It's probably the only theological book I've read that like I don't disagree with anything. Yeah, it's I agree with every single thing in that book. Um, there's nothing in there where I'm like, eh, I don't know. You might be stretching things on that. Like it's, I feel like it's right on. So 700 pages, but it'll rock you. Um, that's, that's a great book to get as well. And then, I, like I said, that encompasses theonomy, encompasses the law of God and, and post and the Lordship of Christ and all the above. So,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I'd agree. Those are all the same recommendations. Uh, way back when I was first, uh, investigating postmillennialism. i uh I asked Luke for a recommendation he had recommended uh, Gentry's um, oh. he Shall Have Dominion and I got it and I actually got a copy that has like handwritten notes oh, wow. like, from him in it um which is interesting uh, it had his signature in there at least I don't know if it was signed really? or something so yeah it's an old it's an old school book that the dust jacket's kind of falling apart but I was hey. like dude this is awesome um, That is awesome so yeah that was cool. <laughs> Uh, So, guys, as we close out this main episode um, next week, uh, we are going to do a reflection on the last days. Blake, what are we going to drink?
1: We're going to be sipping. I'm very excited. We're going to be sipping another expression of a midwinter night's dram from the High West Distillery. This is Act 7, Scene 6, sent to us by our buddy Samuel Schauble. So thank you, Sam, for that. We're really thrilled to do that. Uh, And then the following week, we will be recording uh, with carl truman about his new book the rise and triumph of the modern self that's going to be on wednesday april 21st at 6 p.m eastern time um and i just finished uh his book this past weekend over uh over a long trip uh on audible and I think it's required reading. Like, it should be a required reading for Christians in the West right now. It's the full title, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. Um, Carl, yeah. Carl Shapiro, even said—
0: Didn't Shapiro have him on talking about how it was, like, the most important book to well, read? he tweeted really? it. He, go, he, go, yeah. he
1: tweets his book and says, this is the most important book of our age because— Again, what, what are we facing? How did we get to the place where as a wide, broad society, culture looks at someone who says, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. And everyone says, yes, instead of we need to help you, we need to you know, work with you. Mm-hmm. And Truman traces this all the way back, going back to the Enlightenment through Nietzsche, wow. Freud, Marx, Darwin, um, through the sexual revolution, through uh, the Frankfurt School and critical theory, all the way up to the present age and how it's just sort of like people who've never read any of these guys are so influenced by their major thoughts and how things have progressed. It's a it's a dense book, but it's really excellent. So I'm excited to have Carl on for that. It's a privilege to, to hang out to with have him again. Carl back on. Back Very on, that's cool. right. L- listen to his uh, British accent. Uh, and it's that time. It's giveaway time. So uh, we were giving away a Distilling Theology, Covenant Theology is Distilled Theology hoodie, and a copy of Dr. Kim Riddlebarger's book, A Case for Amillennialism, provided for us by Baker Books. Uh, We had a whole bunch of entries, well over 120 of you entered for a chance to win. And uh, we're going to announce that winner right now. And the winner is... Jenny Smith! Woo, Congratulations. congratulations! You have
0: just won. It's the best day of your life. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> we'll be sending you a case for all millennialism by Dr. Tim Riddle-Barber, as well as a distinct Theology. Covenant Theology is Distilled Theology. Here. Thank you to everyone who participated. Uh, we're excited there will be more giveaways in the future, so stay tuned.
0: Guys, check us out on social media. We are on Facebook. We have a page that you can like, a group that you can join, where you will literally be part of the Most Sage Stage Reform Facebook group on the internet, TM. I trademark it. It's true. Uh, Check us out there. (laughs) Just just
1: name it and claim it there.
0: (laughs) I named it, claimed it. Uh, (laughs) uh, Also check us out on Instagram. We have uh, great book recommendations, whiskey recommendations and all kinds of stuff there as well. Uh, Blake, somehow we are still proud members of what?
1: You know, week after week we, we say it and I'm just excited to say it every time and read through the list. Uh, We are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective. The roll call is Assurance of Pardon, The Bobcast, Christ in Context, Distilling, Theology, Fast God Stuff, Five Points, Church Planting Podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Restless, Seeker Start, Sippin' on Theology, Steady Anchor, and now the Particular Baptist Podcast. More Baptist, you can get baby? All of these shows at reformedpodcasts.com, where you can get the mega feed. You will, if you subscribe there, you'll get the back catalog of all these programs. There's a lot of variety there. Uh, I don't think anyone's quite as bombastic or um, absurd. I, you know, those are those are adjectives I would use for us. Uh, but you get some really good stuff. You have stuff in there from pastors. You have stuff in there from from people who actually uh, went to seminary, and mm-hmm. um, you know, some really great interviews. So definitely go over there and check that out. And Justin. If folks would like to hear more of these shows, if if they listen to this and they think I want to hear uh, the flubs, like if somebody's power went out during the episode, or oh. or if uh, you know <laughs> if somebody flubbed a bunch of lines and couldn't pronounce any words, like I want to hear that and not not have my episodes delivered edited. Uh, where can people go to get that, as well as extended conversations? <laughs> like, listen, we're to if have. you
0: guys want the worst content that we have to offer, check us out on patreoncom slash Theology you get extended conversations you get bonus content like uh you'll get the uh, you get the, the the question of the day that i have here after oh, after oh. this uh, episode ends uh we had uh we had sam renahan on we talked for two and a half hours with that man uh so uh, head on over there um you get the video content you get the you get the whole you get the whole stuff you get it all you get it a week early pretty much every time um exclusive bonus content you name it Four ninety nine a month it's less than that um ridiculously chocolatey uh, mocha that you don't actually need from Starbucks this week uh, you can <laughs> join us there uh, also for $14.99 a month you can uh, after three months get your exclusive Distilling Theology patron only mug and we have some other pretty cool ideas for things for you so check us out there patreon.com slash Theology um, yeah let's close this baby out
1: alright so whatever you do whether you eat or drink
0: you all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. (laughs) Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Distilling Theology. We had a blast hanging out with Luke. We hope you enjoyed it. Check out this sneak preview from the Extended Conversation which is available exclusively at patreon.com slash distillingtheology.
2: In Hebrew and Greek, you know, they use letters and and numbers were interchangeable. Um, So 666, when it actually is spelled out in words, is Neron Kaiser. Um, so, yeah, Caesar was, or, or uh, Nero, I'm sorry, was, was the beast. And it mm-hmm. seemed like everyone clearly understood who, who he was talking about. And he was awful. Yeah. That man was awful.